Hello and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, founder and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. The economy has been top of mind for consumers throughout 2022 and into 2023. In a recent survey by PSCU, nearly 9 in 10 consumers stated that they were worried about the economic outlook, while three quarters also reported they were concerned about their own personal finances. In response to economic uncertainty, consumers want choice and variety when making purchases and when transacting. In fact, most customers said that they're using a greater variety of payment methods than they did just a few years ago, including digital payment options. We're lucky to have Tom Pierce, CMO of PSCU on the Bank Transform podcast. He'll share the results of the most recent ION payment study done by PSCU and will provide insights into how financial institutions of all sizes can better serve members and customers. For the fifth year in a row, PSCU set out to gauge the payment preferences among credit union members and other financial institution customers. They explored the choice and usage of different payment methods, how these choices varied among different life stages and economic events, and how financial institutions could better serve their members and customers both now and in the future. So Tom, tell us a little bit about the history of the PSEU annual Eye on Payment study. You know, why is the study done and what are some of the most significant megatrends you've seen over the past five years? Well, thanks, Jim. Let me talk a little bit about the history of the study, then I'll talk a, a bit about some of those consistent trends we've seen. So we launched IM Payments in 2018, really as a focus to gauge uh, the traditional emerging payments preferences and behaviors amongst both credit union members and also amongst bank customers. So we've had some consistent questions throughout the years, looking at debit and credit card usage, but we've also focused on some of the trends and changes from the emerging payments perspective. Obviously, during COVID, uh, we saw a lot of uh, adjustments in behaviors and behaviors and people changing how they use their payment forms. Uh, and then we've also added in new twists to the study every year. But let me talk a little about some of those trends that we've seen. So except for the very first year where we saw credit as the preferred payment uh, method, debit has been the lead in the last four years of the study. Uh, we've seen shifts happen uh, during the pandemic to interest in contactless cards, mobile wallets, as people wanted that cleaner experience at the point of sale, and that's stuck around since then. Um, additionally, uh, we've seen consumers continue to prioritize ease of use, uh, speed and convenience for their payment types, and they've been focused on security throughout. They want a safe way to pay. So these have been some of the, the core trends that we've seen throughout the five years of the IM payment study at PSU. So what was the standout trend you saw in 2022, the study you did then? And how are financial institutions, both credit unions and, and traditional banks, responding to these trends? Yeah, the, the, well, we saw a lot of um, findings from this year. I think the lead one has really been around the continued demand for choice and variety when it comes to making payments and transacting. So a majority of consumers said they're using, and that's about 61% said they're using a greater variety of payment methods than a few years ago. Um, so while they're using debit, credit, and cash, about 75%, they were using those. We've seen a growth in digital payment methods. We could talk further about that as we have the conversation yeah. today. 
uh, approximately four in 10 expect to use a mobile wallet or store-specific mobile payment app to pay for goods or services at the point of sale. So people are wanting choice. They, they want to be able to, to uh, select the type of payment method at the point in time, whether it's online or at the point of sale that's most convenient and easy to use for themselves. So when you look at the economy right now, you know, it's very uncertain and it's put a lot of people in into a concern around their own financial wellness. How have you seen that impact how people are buying, how they're paying, and how they're transacting? So this year we did specifically dive into that question about the impact of the economy on consumers' payment behaviors. And when we um, fielded the survey, almost nine out of 10 respondents, 87%, said they were worried about the economic outlook and about three quarters reported they were concerned about their own personal finances. So clearly top of mind. Um, but we saw some differences in how different income levels were choosing to pay. And it kind of makes sense. You know, the, the lower or, or lesser income folks are choosing to pay more so, at least from a preference standpoint, with debit because they don't have as much credit built up. Similarly, for the, the, uh, the above average household perspectives, they're spending more with credit because they've got more opportunities to, to dive into that standpoint. Um, we're also seeing um, a potential increase here in delinquencies and disputes, which we're seeing more consumers saying they're disputing transactions, uh, which is gonna be interesting to follow as to whether that, uh, that growth is driven by actual not receiving of products or it's actually being driven by what we're calling friendly fraud, where consumers are disputing charges because they can't pay for them and still getting the product. So it'll be very interesting to watch on that standpoint. Some of the more significant impacts have come, I think, in the youngest generational cohorts, so those younger millennials and Gen Z that are most concerned about how the economy is impacting their ability to pay. Yeah, it, it's very interesting because, it, it, as you said, it's impacting everybody differently and, and to different degrees. And it's interesting, too, I, I, I sense that the industry is the, that overall consumers are really shopping more for different options. Um, it was interesting yesterday, as a, as a side note, my son called me and said, you know, I'm looking to get another credit card. I, I want to make a major purchase, and I'm trying to find the, the credit card that I'm going to get the biggest credit limit and still get cash back rewards. But I, I can't really afford, not not money-wide, but can't afford to have like somebody come back and only give me $500. I need more than that for what I'm trying to do. He, he has good credit and all that, but he has a, a short credit history. I sense there's a lot of people today shopping for that right credit or debit option for them. Is that what you find as well? Yes. I mean, I think that while we track every year what's driving people to choose a certain type of credit card, it, they've, they've shifted where before from the rewards basis, they were looking at points, you know, building that travel side, you know, looking for points to buy items. We've seen a biggest shift the last few years to wanting cash back. You know, that that's the biggest driver of what card people are choosing, as well as how big a credit limit they can get based on their available credit lines. But I think you're spot on with what your son was talking about. Well, yeah, and, and it's interesting because, you know, his his search was unrestricted um, cash back. 
uh, you know, he doesn't want to have to worry about categories and things of that nature because he's the purchase he's going to be making is probably in a in a bigger category that is not food or entertainment or one of the typical ones. So it's it's going to be interesting. You know, what do you see as the key differences in payment preferences between generations right now? Yeah, that, I'll I'll highlight a few of those uh, pieces, Jeb, because we we do. Uh, it's fun to kind of look at, and we really track towards kind of five different categories of generations we look at. You know, we've got, of course, the boomers, the Gen X folks. Uh, we look at and kind of split the older and younger millennial uh, folks and then the Gen Z folks. So when you look at the boomers, um, these folks were concerned about the economy, 90%, um, but only about, you know, 70, 70% were concerned about their personal finances because they have more to fall back on. Um, we've seen uh, a balanced approach to their preferred payment method, you know, about 39% debit, 40% credit, so pretty even on that front. And we've seen growth in uh, their use of contactless over the last several years. So as they become more familiar with that payment type and it's more accessible to use at the point of sale, they're beginning to shift to that. The Gen Xers this past year were more debit leaning. Um, we saw about two thirds of those folks using a greater variety of payment methods than a few years ago. and. For that generation, trust and relationships are really key as they determine which FI they work with. So very important to tap into that factor. Now, when we look at the millennials, folks, the older millennials, these were the most frequent users of some of those digital payment methods, so Venmo, PayPal. Um, and then this was also the group that has invested the most in crypto. 37% say they've either invested or currently wow. hold crypto. Now, we'll see if that continues with this with the crypto uh, winter we have right. going on right now and some of the collapses. And, and also, uh, this group has had stronger interest in the metaverse. So about 30% said they have participated in a metaverse or metaverse-like experience. So interesting to watch that emerging uh, payment side with that uh, audience there. Younger millennials, um, th this is that group that's focused on building credit and getting financial security. 80% uh, of those say they prefer to use a credit card to build their credit. Maybe that's what your son's looking to do there. Uh, and they also are the most prolific users of mobile wallet technology and the most likely to use a buy now, pay later program. So again, different findings for that group. And then Gen Z, and as I mentioned before, this was the group that was the most concerned about their finances due to the economy. They're still using debit as their preferred payment form because they don't have the available funds from a credit perspective. And they're also the most significant users of mobile apps for shopping and food ordering. So some interesting just distinctions between the different groups, Jeff. You know, when you look at this, do we run the risk as a financial institution of maybe depending on categories as opposed to individual preferences? For instance, um, you discussed, discussed the millennials and either the millennials or the Gen Zs. I'm probably from my payment process more like them than I am my own demographic group. I, I simply use mobile pay for virtually everything. I actually select vendors and retailers that allow mobile payments. I pick restaurants based on that. I don't want to carry cash. I don't want to carry cards. I want to do everything mobile. So that's a little bit interesting. I buy most of my items online. So it, do financial institutions have to double down on the data and analytics to find out the preferences of individual members or customers more than maybe they have in the past and not depend on simply what I call traditional demographics. It's, it's a great point. You know, when we look at these kind of trends to have these fun discussions about the different demographic categories, it really comes down 
to the individual consumer, that individual member, and how they're paying. And we like to call it at PSU connected experiences. So we really encourage our institutions to look at the data in terms of how those individual consumers are either referring to pay, are they using a mobile wallet more? You know, are they turning on certain fraud protections under that mobile wallet that they, from an alerts and controls perspective? Where, you know, are they, are they choosing to have a debit or credit card at the top of wallet status in there? Those types of, that those data points should really drive your engagement with the individual consumer and prompt them down certain pathways. So we try to provide those tools and capabilities to the credit unions that we serve in the marketplace, but we, we've seen a lot bigger focus on that from, from credit unions and banks, obviously, as, as the individual needs of consumers change. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I talk in a lot of my podcasts and some of the writings I've done recently about the fact that there's silent disintermediation, that, that organizations think they have the same customer base they did in the past without really realizing that while they may have the accounts, the consumer's loyalty or commitment to them has changed has diminished a bit because people have opened accounts elsewhere. You talk about it in your report when you saw it, say that there's an importance of going away from or going beyond share of wallet to basically going towards share of mind. Can you describe that a little bit and how can this best be achieved? That, that That's a, a, a great point. And, and we did kind of shift from that direction and, and it kind of, plays off what we just talked about, that connected experience side. So it's important for credit unions to really meet their members in their channels of choice. You know, they're expecting higher levels of service and a variety of offerings. They want to have the choice between uh, using the traditional debit or credit card, but having the digital payment capabilities, having an option for BNPL if that's what they want to choose to go on a path with. So it's essential that as you offer these various choices, your institution becomes that top of mind for who to work with. Because if not, if, you, if you're not offering this variety of payment types to meet their needs, they're going to cherry pick and choose to go to a different financial institution, at least for part of them. We, you know, we, that's why we've seen some of the growth in some of the digital banks, because they're offering some of these easy-to-use digital capabilities. And it's important for credit unions to invest in these channels to make sure they retain that full share of mind for their audience. So what are some of the newer ways that credit unions and other financial institutions are rethinking their payment alternatives to meet the needs of customers? Are they still looking at new payment innovations and developing new products to serve these, I'm going to call them micro segments. They're not micro, but the reality is for any institution, they may be micro compared to other alternatives, or are they sticking with the traditional product lines? So, um, we're seeing further interest in those. What we're not seeing necessarily is uh, credit unions wanting to always invest in these opportunities on their own. We, we just finished a, a study separate from Iron Payments looking at credit unions' desires to innovate to serve the needs of their members. And there's still a disconnect between what members are wanting in terms of advanced digital payment opportunities, buy now, pay later, mobile wallets, others, and where credit unions are actually investing their dollars. And we've seen a, a bit of a pullback in that approach, uh, particularly since the economy started to decline. So there's been a pullback, and we've seen more credit unions reporting uh, of themselves as being more laggards than maybe they were before. And it's a big concern for us, and, and it's something we really uh, push our uh, audience base on from the credit union perspective, that this is not the time to step back. 
you know, you need to keep investing in these additional payments capabilities now because consumers are going to make other choices. And as we come out of this economic downturn, you've got to be ready with the most poignant types of options for uh, for your members, or they're going to turn to somebody else. They're, 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 they don't have the loyalty they once had. And so investing in these new uh, solutions, and, and an upcoming one I want to mention as well, uh, Jim, is uh, we're looking, of course, at the upcoming FedNow service that's going to end up creating instant payments capabilities. That's forecast to hit the market you know, this summer uh, with a number of institutions, including PSUs on Juniper Payments, being able to start to test some of those capabilities. That will become a disintermediary uh, to the debit and credit traditional choices from a payment standpoint. So uh, credit unions are going to have to have a seat at the table from that standpoint if they want to retain that full top of, uh, you know, mind share that we just talked about as, as a new payment. Type. You know, you brought up a very good point. It was underlying your comment a little bit there that that financial institutions now, more than ever, they have the ability to partner with outside third-party providers that can keep them up to speed and future ready. They need to double down on that because without those partners, you can't do all this innovation on your own. In fact, you certainly can't do it at speed and scale. And working with a company like PSCU, an organization like PSCU, makes it so that you can actually leverage the intelligence and the, the, the efforts that you're putting into keeping organizations ready in the payment space. And you, as you said, you, you can't afford to fall behind because playing catch-up is, is not the way to go. You know, I, it's interesting, too, because just because you have these products doesn't mean that members and customers know you have them. I was really impressed yesterday. And again, my little side note on my experience with my son yesterday, when I looked up and said, you know, uh, options for um, for uh, rewards programs and with modest credit history. Um, what is interesting is I we got into the Capital One site and their ability to present their options was enormously intelligent. It would ask you a few basic questions as to what are you looking for? And then they'd show you the option of cards they had for those solutions. I think it's important for financial institutions not to put credit cards or debit cards on the back burner, not to make it so you just figure, oh, consumers will find what they want. They want help in trying to decide what to what to take advantage of, what to apply for. They want you to help them with their decision. And the only way to build this kind of platform that works is really with a third-party provider such as PSCU. You, you just can't go it alone. You know, when you look at this overall, and you've mentioned a couple of times about buy now, pay later, should traditional finance institutions be concerned about this payment option going forward? So clearly there's a demand for it, I mean, particularly amongst uh, you know, the, the younger audience. Um, and, and maybe economic concerns are a contributing factor with that right now, but um, what we found through this study is of those who know their FI offers a BNPL solution, 60% are saying they've used it. Wow. And younger millennials, as I mentioned before, are the most prolific users of those. The challenge is, is how do credit unions get into this space without causing growth in credit challenges for their members. I mean, some of the the, the, the newer entrants in this space, you know, that, you know the yep. firms, yep. the Klarna's, you know, they, 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 they're offering these opportunities, 
but it's causing folks to default on things. And, and, and they're getting, you know, a lot of looks from uh, the CFPB and so forth. So there's clearly concerns, but there's the opportunity for credit unions to step in and offer their flavor of a BNPL program with some type of installment payments approach. So similar to what you see with some of the larger credit card companies offering that, do you want to break this payment into multiple, this this uh, transaction into multiple payments? It's still a part of that base credit card experience, but it's giving more choice to your members as they're paying. So if education around buy not pay later is critical for credit unions to step up, that's always been an area that credit unions have led with their members as, as being strong educators. And this topic of buy now, pay later is very important to educate on so that members don't get further into debt that they can't handle. You know, it's an interesting dynamic because there's a lot of financial institutions that now are looking at uh, some of the uh, fintechs and saying, well, see, we told you so. It's not that easy. And and, and that's probably a fair, fair assessment. On the other hand, to simply ignore that payment option is foolhardy as well. And what happens is that's where you have to take legacy thinking and and put it to the test because just because you have a loss, it does not mean in many cases that's the same level of loss. You're not talking about tens of thousands of dollars with, the, with most buy now, pay later plans. This is this is something that are, are lower dollar value, um, quick turn items that while you may end up with more losses percentage, the dollar losses may not be that great. And and you really have to rethink the way you've looked at credit in the past and the opportunity to expand your, your customer base, your member base. So it's, it's going to be interesting to look at it because I think sometimes we're naive or we're cynical about new payment options because we're 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 born and bred in, in decades of history of legacy uh, credit thinking. So how important overall? Yeah, that's why, you know, it's, 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 I think that if, if you, Jim, when you look at it, you know, that particularly the the younger consumers know that when they're at the point of sale, they've got potentially if the retailer's offering a, you know, buy now, pay later option through a Klarna or a firm, they can make that choice. But it's more important if they know your credit union offers some type of installment payment option tied into yep. your credit card, they're going to still choose to use that your credit card to make the payment with. If they don't have that option, they're going to make a choice of one of those fintech firms that offers it. You know, it, it's interesting, too. Um, you work with a lot of financial institutions and and different organizations run different ways. But but many don't understand in many ways that the importance of transaction data and near real time engagement to the overall success of a credit relationship. Um what do you find to be the biggest challenge with financial institutions actually using data to deploy better credit solutions, but also to build the customer base and member base beyond where it is today from not only a, a member basis, but also from a transaction and a, an outstanding basis? Well, we've actually found, and as we look, work with our credit unions, an eagerness uh, in approaching these opportunities. So, um, we do this ion payment study on an annual basis, but we've began working back during the pandemic. We saw this this demand from our credit unions because the world was shifting so quickly in terms of how people were transacting to having that real time data so they could make decisions. So we started producing 
originally a weekly transaction insights reports during the pandemic for our credit unions, and then shifted post-pandemic into a uh, monthly payments index, which provides real-time data for our credit unions to be able to see you know, how are consumers shifting in their patterns of debit or credit card actual transaction usage in different categories, um, where might they need to incent them to use a credit card more or shift in their debit card strategy, where are the rewards preferences at, you know, where are we maybe, as we go now, seeing an increase in delinquencies so that they can put more delinquency strategies in place. So we've seen a higher demand. Um, it's just having that access available. And we produce this uh, monthly report for our credit unions. And then we offer them the chance to do comparative analysis where they can look at their actual transaction data versus the trends of the entire PSCU base of 900 plus credit unions we work with and see how they might be trending separately. But having that real-time data to make the decisioning of how you adjust your strategies to meet the needs of your members is critical. But rather than people having challenges, we're seeing people that really embrace it. They want that data and they want it real time so they can make some of those decisions. You know, it's interesting. I, I often talk about the fact that we, we love data to see how we're doing. It's deploying solutions against that data that the, the customer or member is going to feel that makes the biggest difference. When you work with your clients, with your, your member organizations, what's the biggest challenge you see in the marketplace with finance institutions in actually doing what your organization knows they should do? Uh, I think the biggest challenge we see from that, Jim, is prioritization. You know, often when we're working with credit unions, you know, beyond some of the largest ones, they're not the largest of shops. So they've got folks that are wearing multiple hats within the organization. And so having them prioritize the need to invest in a certain direction to support the payment side versus maybe how they're making investments from a fraud protection perspective or enhancing their branches, they have to make choices. So while we try to guide them down the right pathway, they still have that internal challenge that they need to address of where do they put those finite resources at. You know, obviously leveraging a, a, a QSO like PSCU saves them some of that investment area, but they still have to make those choices. Um, for where they put the emphasis at. And that's that's probably the biggest challenge I think that they face. You know, it's interesting too, because again, being a third party provider that that really has the best interests of your your clients in mind, not that most third party providers don't, but the reality is you have so much history, you have so much legacy thought pattern that allows you to basically guide financial institutions, knowing what their challenges are, knowing what their opportunities are in the marketplace at a time of massive change. And and I'm going to double down on this because I do in most of my podcasts, the fact that now is the time more than ever to partner with organizations that understand what your challenges are and they can take the ball on your, on the financial institutions by half and run down the field and, and, and help you do better. Um, you know, we sometimes uh, say we don't have time, but the reality is right now, members and customers are requiring more than ever for their financial institutions to understand them and to reward them for their, their loyalty. And to do so, you really have to stay ahead of the game. You know, what are the, some of the takeaways from this year's study that credit unions can leverage to better serve their members. Yeah, let me talk about a couple of those, uh, Jeb. But I mean, I'm going to talk overall about the fact that if, if you think about the consumer, they're not just engaging 
in the financial services space. So they have all of these digital experiences that are happening. Think about their their Amazon experience. You know that this is how they've been trained to engage with retailers, and you know financial institutions are just another retailer out there. When you look when you're looking at that standpoint, we we're sell you know they're selling financial services to consumers. So they when I look at the Amazon experience, they want this end to end experience within the Amazon platform. So Amazon has brought other capabilities to the party uh, within their experience to keep that consumer within that end-to-end solution that, that they offer. FIs, credit unions and banks, need to offer the same solution. So that's why it's important to, to, you know, to work with a QSO that can provide all of those capabilities for your members in the same way that um, you want to keep them within your environment. So as we look at some of the findings for this year um, and some of the takeaways, it's going to be really important for credit unions to continue to keep a pulse on the economic impacts. This this economic recession, if we're there, is not going away that quickly. So it's going to be important to be able to pivot on your strategies and come out of the this economic downturn in a strong fashion. Um, understanding where your members are at in terms of their economic experience, monitoring their, their delinquencies, Promoting financial wellness and options for them is going to be very, very important. So I think that's that's really the focus that we have from a takeaway perspective is, is offering choices, promoting financial wellness, being there to support your members in this time of economic challenges. So finally, um, you know, as you look to the future, look at uh, 2023 and even beyond, Tom, and maybe getting outside of the, the, re, the eye on payments research that you've done, you you have a pulse on the marketplace. You're out there all the time. You're working with clients. What are some of the major industry trends, mostly in payments, that you see that financial institutions, both credit unions and and banks, need to keep an eye on for over the next year or so? Yeah. So um, I, looking at um, the payments perspective, you know, we we think that while consumers are saying that they're using debit more, we're actually seeing the shift toward credit. And and the and the growth in delinquencies. So that's going to be a very important area for credit unions to focus on through, for 2023 into 2024. Is will they have to, to rein in some of those credit limits for their uh, members so that they don't get too far from a from a delinquency perspective? That's one key factor. Monitoring fraud. You know the fraudsters are always shifting in their direction. And before we were dealing with them all. At the gas pump, and and now that they're beyond that, you know, they're they're into how do we are we impacting that digital experience? So, so providing education for your members and also putting the right fraud protection in place is going to be a key strategy going forward. And then the other piece, I it kind of recircling back to what I talked about before is uh, now is the time to keep investing. Um, the, the consumer demands are, are, are they're, they're very fickle right now. They will shift financial institutions in a heartbeat if, the, if they can be served with the digital capabilities that they want for their financial experiences. Uh, they're, they're not as loyal as they used to be. We've seen the continued erosion in that space where credit unions always had the loyal members because they would greet them in their branches. They knew them by name. Well, now most of those transactions are happening in a digital format now. So they're, you know, they're competing against the likes of the big banks as well as the digital banking providers out there that have all of those fun and engaging digital capabilities that they want for their transaction experience. 
credit unions need to be investing in these capabilities or they're going to lose their members. That's 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 a big focus they're going to have to take going forward. You know, it's interesting, Tom, because it, it most institutions aren't feeling that they're losing their members because they're not closing their accounts. The reality is the diversification of financial relationships across multiple providers, you don't have to lose an account to lose a relationship is what I usually say. And, and especially with the younger consumer who no longer sees the checking account as a primary service. You know, that that's another thing that, you know, takes a rethinking of the whole banking as we knew it, where, you know, most consumers may not make the, the PFI be in the checking account. It may be a credit card. It may be a loan relationship. You know, there may be multiple PFIs, you know, based on what their needs are. Or, or a digital capability. You know, I've got daughters in that Gen Z, yep. Gen Y space, and, you know, they th- they do Venmo as much as they do I was do just going to say, my son, probably if you asked him to think deep about where's his most active financial relationship, it's Venmo, without a doubt. You know, they use that more than anything else. But um, – Oh, or, you know, in some ways, Uber. You know, they, they're doing everything in an auto transfer, you know, right. between Amazon and Uber. Yeah, that, that's what I'm focusing on. Tom, thank you so much for being on the show today. Before we get off the uh, podcast, can you tell people how to get your Ion Payments study? Sure. Thank you, Jim. So they can go onto our, our core website, psu.com, and you'll find a link right at that top of that main page on there to be able to download the study. We've got a lot of details in there. We encourage you to pull down it, and we produce this on an annual basis. So we'll look forward to having the conversation next year, too. Great research study. Really enjoyed digging into it, and thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks, Jim. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoyed today's interview, please give our show a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and the research we're doing for the Digital Bank Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Haslidge, audio engineer, Sean Roe Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember that as the economy changes, the consumer's payment preferences are also changing. So be prepared. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.